0: solo show time. Welcome back, everybody. Gosh, there's so much to talk about. I've got so many Netflix reviews to go over with you, but today's show is going to be a good one. I've got Wes Fulkerson. Wes is a writer, grew up in San Diego, went to college down here in Los Angeles, was living on his own, didn't have much money, living on six to $7,000 a year. He knew he had a passion for writing and a lot of perseverance. He's going to tell us about some of his perseverance, his passion, and also about his new book that's coming out. And then I got Paul Daniels. Paul is an unbelievable artist. His art is as realistic as I've ever seen. I'm not just saying that because I know him or because I've in pieces from him in the past. This guy is ridiculously talented, so talented that he drew the mural of Kobe Bryant on Hotel Figueroa. He's gonna tell us about that. But before we get to those guys, I want to mention just one little story here. Not reclining on a plane. When did this become a thing? Why are people so freaking sensitive? Why are we worried about something that has an option on your chair about the person behind you? If it's an option on my chair, I'm gonna use it. I don't care if the flight is an hour or 10. Why all of a sudden, and listen, I am the most selfless person around, seriously. But why am I gonna be uncomfortable because you're seven foot eight behind me and now I have to worry about you? I paid for that seat. Don't tell me about that. What we should be worried and concerned about are those who take their shoes off and put them on the wall or the chair in front of them. That's what you should be talking about. That's what you should be concerned about. Not about my plane seat reclining because I want to be comfortable flying. Because we have two guests tonight, I like these solo shows to not go too long. So let's get to it. Here's my man, Wes Fulkerson. He's 28 years old. Wes, you've written 12 books so far. Which has been your favorite? Man,
1: you know, it's no truism, but I think... Your favorite is always the one you're working on right now, but maybe that's a little bit of a cop-out, so I'll say I've got a book called The Weathermen that I really love, kind of a thriller. What's that about? Uh, so the idea is that I, I won't I won't stop you again after that, but um, we're actually, like, talking about getting this one out, so I'm realizing I shouldn't promise oh. premise until I've signed <laughs> my contract. <laughs> okay.
0: So prior to all that, you had some struggles. I know you're from San Diego. You went to USC yeah. in Los Angeles, and you didn't have a car. You graduated from SC, right? But you didn't have a car after you graduated or or while you were in school?
1: So I kind of had a, uh, a little bit of a funny journey where I'm at. I graduated from USC in 2012, and I had a marketing degree, a business degree, but I had a passion for writing. really felt like I saw a need as well, and so I took the sort of unusual step of not going out and getting a regular job. And As you said, I I didn't have a car at the time, so that put me in a a weird sort of spot where to get around, I just had to run. I run miles and miles every week.
0: Now, there was a time you ran 50-plus miles in a week?
1: Yeah, uh, and it's worse than that, too. So, let me lay the groundwork for you. What I was doing was I knew that if I wanted to be a writer, you know, it's an industry that's very hard to break into. I knew that I was going to have to give it 100%. And I just felt like I'd I'd known too many people who had their, their passion, their dream that they wanted to follow. And so they went and they got a crummy job and they spent 10 hours a day doing the crummy job and they got home and they were too exhausted to work on the thing that they were supposedly working towards. So, you know, I'd wake up at six in the morning and I'd write all day and I'd study and I'd edit and I'd, you know, refine my craft, you know, all the while trying to get people to pay attention to me. So obviously not a lot of money coming in when you're starting out and doing that. I think I lived on... Six or $7,000 that first year for the entire year. At the same time, I was helping out, coaching some wrestling teams up in LA. I love to wrestle. It's something I've done for a long time. And at a wrestling practice, I'd broken a rib. So one of the other coaches demonstrating a move on me, so it's not like you're even defending yourself. You just let him do it over and over. was a big guy. he outweighed me by a lot. And, you know, on the fourth or fifth time you're showing this one turn, well, my rib's cracked. There's not really a lot you can do when you have a broken rib. Too poor to go to the doctor anyway, but, you know, you go to the doctor with a broken rib, they say, sorry, take some ibuprofen to take the edge off and wait. But like you said, I didn't have a car. And so to get around, to go to meetings, to try and get people to to read my stuff, the times that I I had gigs and opportunities to make money, I just throw clothes in a backpack and put on my running shoes and run places and then change in a bathroom somewhere and wipe the sweat off and get to work. That didn't change when I had a broken rib. (laughs) So, yeah, I I still was running all over town. There was one week in particular where I had to run 50 miles with a broken rib just to get to all the meetings and responsibilities that I had. And it wasn't fun. But to get in that place where I'm already invested, I don't really have another option. So you just kind of put your head down and wince with the pain and do what you got to do.
0: Sounds like passion, man. You had a true, and still do have a true passion for writing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and like I was saying, it, it comes from a couple of angles because passion is is important. I felt like I had a I had a vision too. Like I said, I, I felt like I saw a need. I still do feel like I see a need. I think that we're in a, we're a culture that consumes a lot of entertainment. But not much of it is super edifying. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a lot of great work being done out there. I'm not trying to say that there's not. But I just felt like I saw space for for turning people's attention to truth. And beauty, and so I, I felt like I had a reason beyond just my own desires for pursuing what I was trying to do.
0: Did that coach know your situation that you didn't have a car and you were running all over the place, and he wasn't, he shouldn't have broken your rib because of that?
1: <laughs> well, I'd like to think he shouldn't break someone's rib anyway. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I kept it quiet. I I was about to go around. Did
0: he know that he Uh, broke your rib, though? Yeah. I I
1: told him at a certain point, what are you going to do again? It's not like you can even cover somebody's medical expenses for that. Because, you know, I mean, in the old days, they would like wrap your ribs up Mm -hmm. just to keep them in place. But they actually even stopped doing that. Because uh, you can get some unpleasant side effects from binding your lungs up, apparently. So really, there's there's not a lot they can do for you if you break a rib.
0: Talk to me about this new book you got coming out.
1: Yeah, so I'm really excited about it. <laughs> it's a few years down the road. Thankfully, people you know have given me a chance and uh, been able to make a living as a writer the last few years. It's called For Whom the Sun Sings. It's coming out with Enclave Publishing. I'm really excited about it. The premise is the entire world is blind. No one has even heard of sight before. And into this world, there's a child named Andreas who's born and he's able to see. The long and the short of it is society is very much unbalanced by his presence. He rocks a boat quite a bit, and it's a really fun book. It makes you think about things in a new way. I'm really excited about it.
0: This is in Bird Box Part 2, right? <laughs>
1: it's funny you say that man in my defense I wrote it before Bird Box came out you know I was laughing with a friend about that they asked well actually it was, it was on another podcast they said hey what did you do to prepare to write this book and I said man I was doing the Bird Box challenge before that was a thing I was walking up and down stairs my eyes closed trying to get around town with a cane I don't know if that's politically incorrect but it was research man that's it
0: <laughs> hey uh, we know your struggles now because you told us about it uh, broken rib didn't have a car uh, working off six seven thousand dollars a year what's life like today
1: Yeah, you know, I think I'm I'm still on the journey. I hope I'm still on the ascent. You know, I've got a wife, I've got uh, a son, I've got a daughter on the way, and I provide for them by writing, using those skills that I stubbornly decided to work on 12 hours a day (laughs) during that time, you know. You know, like I said, I, I hope we've got higher heights to climb, but that's Really, the dream, you know, is to, uh, is to make a living in what you love.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, writing in general, I don't know much about writing, man. But, I mean, I, I feel like writing in general, is a, it's a hard profession, right? To kind of make a living on yes, if no. unless you make it or network with the right people.
1: Oh, totally. Well, here's the thing, too. You know, so much of what that time when I was really struggling... Taught me was two things. It taught me humility and perseverance. And if you want to be a good writer, you need both of those things because the truth is, we all tend to think we're better than we are in so far as our talents and our knowledge of the craft. And so, you know, we can be crushed by rejection or we can learn from it, see that, hey, sometimes there's a reason, you know, and there's there's ways I can improve. But also, you know, there's that perseverance and that that stubborn refusal to give up. That's also part of it, because like you said, it is hard to make a living as a writer. It is hard to break into the industry. You know, I I think part of the reason that time happened was uh, so I could learn those things.
0: For Whom the Sun Sings, coming out March 17th. The best way to buy it, it would, I would imagine, would be on Amazon, right?
1: Yeah, because wherever you are, you can grab it. Yeah, it's available for pre orders right now. They have a limited number of hard covers that they're selling. So that's pretty cool. Limited edition hardcover copies uh, if you order online before the book comes out.
0: Very cool. I can't thank you enough for coming on. I appreciate your perseverance, your passion. It's something that is hard for people to do. You did it. You are doing it. You found it. You're 28 years old. You got, I'm sure, a beautiful family and a couple kids. So I wish you nothing but the best, man. Keep in touch. Thanks, Mike. It's been a pleasure. And now joined by Paul Daniel. Paul is uh, actually the artist who painted one of Kobe's murals around Los Angeles. This one actually in downtown Los Angeles. Paul, where is its exact location?
2: So this mural is at the Hotel Figueroa which is on Figueroa near the corner of Olympic and Figueroa. I guess um, you could say it's on the back side. It's kind of in an alley, but it actually has a street name. It's called Cottage Place. Car Wash, too, which apparently a lot of people know of. The mural is actually next to the car wash in that alley. Some people said you could see it from Staples Center, and you're crossing the street on Olympic there. It's a pretty prominent location. Yeah, it shouldn't be too hard to miss.
0: How long will it be up for?
2: That's actually a good question. I don't have a definitive answer on that, but judging by the reactions, I think it's going to be up for a while. I actually had a guy who is one of the leading authorities in restoring uh, historical murals in, in L.A. He actually varnished the mural yesterday meaning that the hotel chose to protect it against um, graffiti and the elements and so forth by having that protective coat put on by an expert so that kind of indicates that longevity and preserving it is important to them but no no time is given so i'm just kind of going with it
0: is this the first mural you've ever done
2: probably one of the first legal murals Not something that is my typical my typical gig, but most of my paintings are done on on canvas and they're fairly large size canvases. So I just kind of took the step into translating that technique into a, a larger scale. Came out to my satisfaction. Let's just put it that way. An artist is never satisfied, but I was satisfied with the time the working within the parameters that I was given.
0: Paul, I think you're one of the most realistic artists I've ever seen. So yeah, you're probably hard on yourself because you're perfectionist, but your stuff is as realistic as I've ever seen. Uh, how were you chosen to paint the mural of Kobe and specifically that one at that location?
2: Yeah, so the story is, is actually part and parcel of a, a longer story, which... <laughs> I don't know if we can get into it right now, but what happened was about seven years ago, I was first discovered by the folks at Art of the Game in Staples Center. That's the gallery there where they sell a lot of sports art, Lakers-themed art, obviously. They have one at Dodger Stadium and so on. So I still have a relationship with them. And back when Kobe was still playing, we sold some like Kobe artwork there. Time had passed, and I'd done about seven paintings of Kobe and only had one left A few of them were commissions, and some were sold over the years. And the one left was at Staples, and it was the biggest one. It was about a five-foot-tall canvas. So after Kobe passed away, I was getting just flooded with emails about the artwork, which I was kind of reluctant to talk about or at least advertise, right? And again, these were already done in the past and were sold, so they were kind of already spoken for. So the one painting I did have, I tracked it down and I picked it up the Friday that the Lakers had their first home game back, right? So if you remember, by this time, there was a pretty sizable shrine or a memorial, whatever you want to call it, with candles and flowers and everything you could think of, right, at Staples Center down there at LA Live. I just got the notion, while I was transporting the painting back to another storage location, I had the idea of just bringing it by the shrine and just letting people... Take it in and and take pictures with it, right? So again, it's a it's a huge painting, and it's just his face. It's a, it's a classic portrait, head and shoulders only, where Kobe's looking straight forward. And what I didn't anticipate that day when I took it over there is that I would be mobbed. You know, it was a historic occasion, right? I know the circumstances are pretty dreary, but. It's part of LA history and just part of history in general. I was pleased at the reactions that people were giving. They were really moved by the artwork, which is great. You know, any artist would, you know, that's their dream, right, to be appreciated and uh, or have their artwork appreciated. What that did was get me noticed by. I think people saw me on ESPN and people were interviewing me on the spot. There, the Lakers, the Lakers reposted the artwork. That actual moment where people were crowding around the painting and. Uh, taking pictures with it. There were a bunch of people that I met that day and I, I actually got out of there with the painting intact. I didn't think I would for a minute there. It was getting that hairy. And one of the parties that contacted me was someone from the hotel, from Hotel Figueroa. So they were interested in the artwork. Long story short, they brought me in to see about installing some artwork inside the hotel. For whatever reason, we didn't really go down that path. But when we took a walk around the back of the building and they mentioned that they were looking for an artist to do a mural back there, you know, I've painted Kobe seven times. So this was was right up my alley. And so the talks began real quickly because they wanted a mural of Kobe done in time for the memorial. So not, not a whole lot of time because that wall was about 36 feet wide <laughs> by roughly 26 to 28 feet tall. I gave them a proposal for my creative vision, right? I mean, that's what was important to me. I don't do paintings too much that show Kobe with the Lakers jersey and I didn't, I didn't want to paint him with his daughter. Not to take anything away from any of the other murals, but that's mostly what you see, right? The murals that are going up. There's hundreds of murals going Mm -hmm. up everywhere. and They all show him in the Lakers jersey and um, and with his daughter. And I just wanted to take a departure from that. Actually, prior to this happening, my plan was to do an eighth painting of Kobe as number eight, right? Back in 2098 through 2002 or whatever, we had the little fro, Mm -hmm. they called him Froby. He was number eight. That was, you know, it was KB8, and number eight was that, that was, that was his identity. And so that was part of the creative concept I had. I said, I just, I want to do this portrait of him with the fro, young Kobe. And people don't recognize that Kobe that much anymore. That was 20 years ago. And not only that, but the color choices were it was green. He's mainly in green and gray, like a gradient of green and gray and purple and some blue, which is, not expected everyone expects him to be depicted in purple and gold but i chose that those colors to go with the orange wall that i'd be painting it on you know they they accepted i didn't expect them (laughs) i didn't really expect them to dig that idea too much they liked it lo and behold that's that's how it unfolded and i just had to execute in about a week and that's what happened
0: you mentioned the fans mobbing you down at la live what was that feeling like
2: I can't say that it was new, <laughs> but usually there's some, there are some other circumstances that put you in a situation like that, right? And, and again, it's, it's the artwork. You know, it's not necessarily that they were mobbing me. I get that. But you still, like, my first reaction is to protect the artwork. I don't want to... And it's pretty sturdy. Unless someone came along and, you know, stuck a pair of scissors or a knife through it, then that, that's one thing. But people were pretty respectful, but you just have to be careful sometimes, you know, someone could fall through that thing in a crowd damage the canvas but yeah I just try to stay alert and then also just be appreciative and take in the moment like for what it was it was a highly emotional situation for everyone so I just tried to be I guess accommodating to let as many people as I could take, take photos but the confusing part was when people were sticking phones in my face and trying to get interviews or putting me on camera. I was kind of getting uh, getting a little bit leery of that that kind of thing because I don't I don't know who I'm talking to, right? And you know, people can say they're from the LA Times or from ESPN, and I wouldn't know. <laughs> it was just kind of a blur.
0: I saw Gary Payton and Rodney Pete drop by. You're taking pictures with them. Any other athletes or celebrities?
2: Yeah, actually, Travis McCoy, he is from Gym Class Heroes. He had a song called Billionaire. That's I, I didn't even recognize him at the time, but I definitely know who he is because he's actually an artist. He's a painter, and he's showed me some of his work. So he was he was pretty stoked to come by and see it, and he was real cool as well. GP and Rodney Pete and Holly Pete were also real nice, and they, they liked the artwork too. So that was definitely a cool like bonus.
0: Again, your art is so realistic. Is it something you went to school for, or were you born with most of this?
2: Well, for one, no, I didn't go to school, and the, the story goes that. This is really like a pure expression of, I guess, like an innate talent. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to put it. It is, I guess you could say, hereditary. My uncle was an illustrator for many years in New York. My grandfather, he would draw portraits. He was good at it. So there's, there's some of that talent floating around in my mom's side. It's definitely strong on the artistic side of my mom's side. When I was a kid, that's what I would do. I was really into baseball and basketball, and I would try to draw guys like Michael Jordan or Jose Canseco, Mike Tyson, uh, Magic Johnson. It was all fun and challenging. When I was older, I was laid off from a job. I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I thought, hey, this would be kind of this would be something cool to do. Paint some of my favorite athletes or musicians or what have you as fine art, and I want to see if I can do this as a large scale painting i thought it would just be cool to have in my house <laughs> to be honest with you one thing led to another and once i started putting it out there people were willing to buy it and that was it i mean that's kind of how it started and on a real base level and so some of the actual subjects the athletes or celebrities themselves have acquired paintings of themselves and for their own home so that that was like a dream come true like muhammad ali and mike tyson those were like my top guys and uh, I was able to meet them and they and several others, but those guys are my, uh, my absolute favorites. And, and so it's really like a surreal, exciting feeling to know that they actually own my artwork and they have appreciated it and took that step to acquire it.
0: Do you have that piece of the mural you painted a Kobe for sale on a smaller scale?
2: Oh, no. That did cross my mind. That's another good question, Mike. <laughs> Usually, you know, in order to make a print of something, it would have to be scanned or photographed at like a really high resolution to get it print ready. But I haven't tackled that challenge with a wall just because I haven't been in this type of situation. And I mean, it's a quality, it's a piece. So I, it's something I would want to document. I'm just not sure how to approach that. Again, we just put the varnish on the other day. So that's, that's probably going to be the next step is to investigate how to approach that side of things. I did do a couple of sketches, like preliminary sketches of that piece. I haven't really posted them, but. You know, I'll make those available too if somebody wants them, which they'll probably ask me about when I post them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did Kobe mean to you?
2: You know, I really admired his work ethic and just the the nostalgia of growing up with them. It sounds weird, but a lot of guys like you and I, we're from the same generation and there are local heroes, the Lakers. I mean, that's Lakers and Dodgers. You can't really, um, that's like what we, you know, through various times in our lives. It's what we like, lived and breathed and still do in a lot of ways so you know kobe being a superstar from the lakers and one of the longest standing lakers i think he is the longest standing laker right 20 yeah. years
0: yeah yep. yeah yep.
2: yeah yeah that, that's incredible yep. especially in an age where you know free, there's free agency and so forth the best way i could put it is that he is synonymous with la that's his identity uh the lakers los Angeles, the city of los angeles and you know kobe bryant that's that's the epicenter right there. It's a really weird feeling. I mean, he's close in age, so and you know, I have a I have a young daughter too, and I really feel for the family and uh, also the other families. Yeah. Uh, just the meaning of um, Kobe personally meant to me. He pushed me to I guess reach down and channel that inner Mamba mentality and just. And that's how I approached the girl. I said, like, if Kobe was what was like expect was like watching this, he'd be like, "Hey, man, you better you better do it right, and you better go all in." And that's what I did. I worked on that thing every day, like it was uh, the only thing I had to do. And that's I guess that's part of being an artist. If you want to really be a true artist, you have to put everything into it. You need, as they would say in basketball, leave it all on the floor. That's what everyone talked about. Kobe's work ethic. That's what he did. That's what he was known for. He would leave it all on the floor. No, no gas left in the tank.
0: Yeah, living with the model of What Would Kobe Do is a really good one to live by. Paul, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I'm really happy for you. I'm proud of you. This is a big deal and I hope you understand that. And I want you to also know that your stuff is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I cannot tell you how amazing your work is. I don't even know where to start. It, you put a mural up that, and you, you had it in phases on your Instagram page. And in in phases, I'm like, where is this guy going with this? And then you end up with the final piece. And I'm like, what? How? Dude, you are, you are stupidly talented, man. <laughs>
2: Thank you, brother. I, pre- I appreciate that, man. And, and you know what? Thank you for um, you know, sticking by me over the years. Uh, that, that means a lot. You know, loyalty means a lot. And, you know, I don't, I don't take that kind of thing lightly. And, and I appreciate the kind words, you know, it, it still really hasn't sunken in because I've been so focused on the work. You know, I immerse myself in that mural and I'm still kind of like recovering from it it's a physical job and I'm not that young anymore to be doing (laughs) that kind of work. And I did it. I did it. I painted it solo. I had people help me like uh, my sister and niece, they handed me paint cans and washed my back and did a bunch of stuff, but it's a physically laborious task. So, when you see some of the murals go up, just remember not only mine, but just remember how much work some of these guys put into it. It's not easy. Like I said, I just had to put all every ounce of energy into it and hope for the best. And uh, I'm glad everyone's happy with it, and glad to hear you're you're happy and have nice things to say about it too, Mike.
0: You're welcome. And by the way, from start to finish, how long did that take you?
2: I think I had about ten days. Okay. And I took I took three days off. I took one weekend off. And then the following, this past weekend, it started raining. It like, I, mm. I went over there to paint it on Saturday and there was like a flash flood. Mm. So I couldn't, yeah, I missed today the work there. So about seven days and roughly, you know, six to eight hours a day. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Happy for you. You can buy his artwork at pauldanielsart.com or you can find him on Instagram pauldanielsart. I brought those two guys on together. I usually don't do two in the same show because I feel like they were similar shows. You can tell they have the passion for kind of the same genre of things, right? Kind of the same industry, if you will. I just felt like I wanted to group those two guys together and do it. In the beginning of the show, I mentioned to you guys that I've got so many Netflix reviews I want to talk to you about. This next one I'm going to talk to you about is Love is Blind. I'm sure some of you have watched it already, maybe a few episodes. I'm seven episodes in out of ten. Wow, there's a lot going on here. Now, these are male and females and they're looking for love but they're in pods and the pods in between the pods is a wall and they don't see each other they then try to fall in love with one of them and they're competing with others and they propose right then and there within a day or two and then they have to get married in Cancun so I haven't gotten that far they went to Cancun they're coming back they're meeting the parents and the family and so I haven't gotten to episode 10 yet to see who's going to get married there's already one crazy couple that got into a fight in Cancun and took off. It's so fun to watch. Very entertaining. So I'm going to give you my review next week on Love is Blind. But what I did see for the second time now is The Secret again. I think it's a good reminder for all of us to watch if we're on Netflix. It's called The Secret. If you haven't watched it, read the book. As I read the book a long time ago, it's a life-changing story. It's about people's experiences and the law of attraction. I am a firm believer in this. It is true. And when they say... Thoughts become things, it's true because what you're putting out there is most likely going to happen, negative or positive. So, if you're thinking about something, think about it hard enough, long enough until it becomes something. And at the same time, make sure you're wise about what you're thinking about because remember, thoughts do become things. And with that, follow my Instagram at MikeDupPod. I am Mike Gabriel. Thank you for making me a part of your day. This was Mike would Up Pod. No wasted days. Let's go.
1: Do you know that thought waves are cosmic waves that penetrate all time and space? And when I think something, I control the vibration I'm in. And when I control the vibration I'm in, I control what I attract into my life. If I want greater wealth, I just have to see it coming into my life. I've been given a magnificent imagination. And through the use of my imagination, I can create, originate pictures in my mind. I can see myself in beautiful relationships. I can see myself experiencing wonderful success. I can see money coming to me through multiple sources on a continuous basis. You see, I dictate what I see.